11, episode 13. It's August 18th, episode 13, right? And I'm Matt O'Neill, and on the other side of me on the screen is my co-host. Aaron Hodson. <laughs> what? It's, a, it's been a season long of us I don't know if other. you are saying it or you want me to say it. You, you're, you're being weird about it. Also, it's my fault. All right, hey, we're off to a good start. This is great. We got a lot to talk about. We said we would come back early and talk about the Dorincho and its effect on agriculture in Iowa. You had a get together with all the extension folk yesterday. Is that right? Yeah, it was a really nice conversation. It included a few people from the crops team, of course, uh, but then also ag engineers, some people who work in stored grain and um, uh, that group. And then there were yeah, other types of engineers that was, was pretty interesting. And then um, just uh, more on the economy with Chad Hart. So the economics and things like that. So it was kind of a well-rounded group. And what were some findings or talking points that came of that? I imagine there was a lot to talk about. Yeah, unfortunately, because of the time of the year, a lot of the corn that was damaged was, was killed. Um, at first they were uh, on the fence about, you know, depending on where it bends or breaks, it, it can still be a living plant. Um, but because if it breaks at a certain point below the ear, basically the, the plant can't survive this late in the season. So a lot of the fields are going to very quickly brown up and die and they will not be harvestable. Or in other cases, there's flattened corn, but the ears are touching the ground and that raises concerns for, um, tainted grain as it's moving into the uh, um, like the downstream and a lot of talk about just chopping what is available into silage and earlage but a lot of the places with really intense injury they don't have a lot of cattle in that area so they'd have to be they'd be forced to move it quite a ways to feed so just a lot of logistics of transportation and storage that are a little bit out, well, a lot a lot outside of my expertise so the worst case scenario then is you've got this dead corn that you can't harvest for grain, you can't feed the cattle. What do you do with it? You can't let it sit on the ground, right? Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what will happen if the if the corn is just outright dead. Um, we, they didn't talk about that um, as far as like, you mean future growing seasons with all that residue? Yeah, I would imagine that that's just way too much residue to plant into. Um, yeah. I don't know if they'll do like tillage to kind of break that up or light tillage or whatever they call it, strip tillage. Yeah. I mean, the fields that I saw that were the worst hit, it was a mat of vegetation you know, that you couldn't see the soil. Yeah. They talked about this new equipment happening in Canada. I think they called it the flexi finger and it helps. You can imagine like these flexible wire fingers picking up, um, grain or ears that are on the ground and they you know they have more diverse crops than we do here okay. but used for other crops what they call it a flexi finger so it had like a different type of corn header on there and uh, I don't think we have too much of that happening in Iowa but maybe forces people to think about different harvesting techniques and sure. and it, including going slower than they want maybe going in one direction which is time consuming and basically doubles your fuel so, yeah, and then, and then it got into, like, grain bin configurations, like north, northwest, 
or like north south east west trapezoid you know and i was just it was kind of like blowing my mind as far as like i never thought about like which way to put the grain bins you know and like size of grain bins and things like that did this come up that the time of year was responsible for the grain bin damage that many of them were empty um well it's a combination of factors if you remember last year there was, it was a wet fall. And so there was a lot of wet grain being put into grain bins. <clears throat> and the complication with that is that we had a propane shortage. Right. And so you, normally people are okay with putting wet grain in a bin if you can dry it with propane, but they couldn't. So there's a lot of poor quality grain. And so uh, a lot of farmers were selling grain this year and they might not have because the prices aren't that great, but they were selling it because the quality was going down very quickly. And so okay. there were more empty grain bins this time of year than there normally are. And and so an empty grain bin is more prone to the kind of damage caused by those winds than if it had been full and, and the added structural, what support of all the grain inside of it. Yeah, that's my, that's my perception of the egg engineer conversation. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so I've, I've been reading up a little bit on the farm um, newsletters and all, trying to get a sense of how many acres were damaged. And I've seen reports suggesting as high as 10 million acres were damaged, but the most severe damage may be limited to like three and a half or 3.6 million acres. Is that what was talked about in your in your meeting? Yeah, because of course all those acres aren't corn and so soybean tended to do a bit better. I don't know if we will know until harvest time what maybe some of the yield comparisons would be um, based on their expectations before the storm. Um, corn definitely took a bigger hit and in some cases complete yield losses. So yeah, I think the number of acres touched by this storm is about 10 million, but the number that is actually uh, that created yield losses might be closer to that three to four million. Yeah, yeah. That um, I don't mean to diminish the impact of the storm at all, but what I saw around town and just in the the fields that I went to in Story County was remarkable variation. And I give the example of this that I thought was most stunning. I've been working a little garden uh, raised bed next to a friend who's got a, a restaurant, the Mucky Duck, down south side of town. Not a plug. We don't get any compensation for this. But he had wind damage to the siding of the building. The wind had pulled the siding off of the building, kind of curled it around. I've got about half a dozen sunflower plants, these you know mammoth varieties that are 10 plus feet tall now and it's in a raised bed those were all still standing and yeah to, to our listener Aaron's eyes raised there all right thanks for <laughs> really selling that right. yeah no I, I totally agree with you high variability yeah it, and that was like a raised bed just on the other side of the parking lot of his you know little restaurant don't take it the wrong way Marcus it's a small restaurant it's got a little parking lot and what, 20 feet away, the siding was pulled, but these plants, yeah, you know, like nothing happened. Yeah, so, two houses away and three houses away, their fences were destroyed. Our, our fence, fine. Yeah. So, so we feel really lucky. 
Yeah, this is the verbal version of me shaking my head vigorously, going, "Oh my God, that's amazing!" Right? And yeah. and it's and it's it, it's uh, eerie how striking that variation can be when you're on the ground. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I yeah. just I wondered about that 10 million. I was like, well, the, I, I could see where 10 million acres experienced in some patches some damage, uh, but boy, 10 million. What what is the crop? The corn crop for the state is something like 15 million. Um, I think it's closer to 18. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, soybean bounces around like nine or 10, I think. Yeah. So anyway, it, it, regardless of, you know, whether it's a few million here or there, it's a lot of damage and it's, it sounds like it's, um, really bad damage given the time of year and the state of the crop. Maybe yeah, it's, it's on top of a drought. It's, oh, um, yeah. you know, so it's on top of a couple different things. And so you have drought stress corn that experienced the hurricane-like winds. Uh, they didn't really stand a chance. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Speaking of the drought, we got, I heard estimates as high as seven inches during the Dorencho, but not much since then. We got a little bit of rain, what, a couple of days later, but that's been it, right? And yeah. it's looking like for the next two weeks, we don't have much in the way of rain coming. Yeah, I've heard a lot about pineapple corn is what the agronomists refer to, kind of the spiky leaves um, mm. all along the western edge and even into north central Iowa now. So uh, crops are really starting to suffer. Like soybean leaves are curling up, turning over. This is probably going to accelerate development to the point where you're going to... Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I wish I knew more about crop physiology, but it's a really important time for them, you know, to have proper moisture, kind of that nighttime, daytime cycle of temperatures. They really mm-hmm. need that for getting the protein that, you know, in the grain. But um, I'm not sure how drought impacts like the speed of maturity. It's a good question. Yeah, I'm just looking at the drought monitor map out of UNL and it, um, most of the state is in some um, form of drought, whether it's uh, abnormally dry, um, going up to extreme drought in what looks like the oh, west central part of the state. Yeah. And then the tri-state area of South Dakota, Nebraska and Iowa, mostly Iowa, getting it the hardest. So. Yeah, and it looks like given the weather uh, predictions for the next couple of weeks, this is only going to get worse. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree for the rest of the month. Uh, anyway, any good news? Well, that's um, any good news about insects? Yeah. Numbers starting to go down? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Japanese beetle and uh, some of the soybean aphid numbers in commercial fields of well some of them have gone up but some of them have also gone down yeah it looked like the storm cleared out whatever remaining japanese beetles were around the last lingering adults that were hanging on to what do one last round of mating and we do... sent them to illinois maybe yeah <laughs> uh-huh. blew them out of the state hey maybe yeah. we should, oh, should look into that um yeah, aphid numbers uh, continue to go up in some places, and we talked with uh, your technician, 
Greg Van Ostrand said the insecticide efficacy trial, the numbers in the pots that got sprayed with pyrethroids leveled off a little bit, dropped a little bit three days after spray, but have come back, started to increase again. So this is something we've been talking about that pyrethroid resistance occurs and it looks like it's only getting worse, that uh, the frequency of resistant aphids is making up a bigger portion of the population before we spray, and that's reducing the ability of that pyrethroid to suppress those populations. And I imagine you know, if this continues, and it will as long as we keep using the cheap pyrethroids, we're gonna to get to a point where the populations aren't delayed at all, they're not suppressed at all, and they just kind of shrug it off and keep on growing. Yeah, in addition to that, uh, we had soybean gall midge detected in two new counties last week. So now there's a total of 29 counties in Iowa, a total of, I think, 110 within the five-state region. So that that's expanding in all directions. And all, so headed further east um, across the state Yeah, and south? Uh, they've already reached the north and south border, so now it's just... Okay kind of expanding toward, towards the center of the state. But yeah, further west in Nebraska, a few more counties in Missouri, and then a lot of Minnesota has uh, positive detections. Was there uh, any sense that the Dorentia revealed more damage by the midge? I'm wondering if the winds knocked over plants or... I have not heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised to, to hear about either lodge plants or dead and dying plants becoming more obvious after the storm. Because a healthy plant would probably pop back up eventually, but something that received damage by the gall midge down there at the base of the plant, eh, it's not yeah. going anywhere. Right. Yeah. Oh man, okay. Anything, any other reports that you've been hearing about? I, I'm guessing the drought is exacerbating spider mite issues. Have you heard anything? Yeah. It's been those? quiet uh, for spider mites the last two weeks for me. Um, I have been getting some questions about people seeing stink bugs occasionally in, in beans that they're scouting kind of late in the season. Although I think it's just like, hey, I found, you know, a couple stink bugs, not uh, an economic level. So just people, some people that are out and scouting are noticing uh, stink bugs now. Yeah, I mean, we now have overwintering populations of the marmorated stink bugs. So. Yep. Those could be something that they're seeing, but um, there are other stink bugs that will occur in soybeans in Iowa, just not to the populations that we've seen in the eastern part of the country where the brown marmorated has really taken hold. Yeah, right. Um, uh, anything else we want to add to this real downer of an episode? <laughs> Welcome to my job. I feel like I always bring on the buzzkill. Um, no, those are, those are the big ones, kind of right. disaster recovery in my world a little bit. Hey, I noticed your t-shirt, you got your, uh, your exercise group t-shirt on. Yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're exercising during the pandemic. Haven't stopped for, oh. well, we, we meet four days a week. Yeah. And our, our ninth anniversary was last week. Oh, congratulations. Nine years of, uh, what, three, four times a week. Four, yeah. Wow. So you, uh, you're staying fit. <laughs> I'm trying, always trying. And that's how we do a segue. All right, I got one for you. 
You got a fit? Bring yeah. it on. Yeah, this is to exercise your, your mind. Mm. So this is for our listener. This is a fun insect trivia. We're going to play um, our new way that we developed this year. I'm going to ask you a series of, well, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to give you a series of hints that I think get um, more and more revealing. And Erin's going to drop in the chat her guess. And our listener is going to play along. And I'm not going to reveal the answer until we get to the last one. Okay. Although I will acknowledge when Erin gets it right. Okay. So I'm staying positive. I feel like you're going to get this one. Okay. All right. So I'm looking for a common name. What's the common name of this insect? All right. So not the scientific name, but the common name, preferably um, the ESA, the Entomological Society of America approved common name. Okay. But, you know, if you're close enough, I'll give it to you. Okay. So what is the common name of this insect? All right. This is an invasive species in the United States, but it's native to China and present in Southeast Asia. Clue number one. That's the sound of Erin typing. Oh man, and she is hot today. Wow, you nailed it with the first one. Maybe that was too easy a clue. All right, so for our listener, um, this species was first identified by um, and, and given its scientific name by Scottish zoologist, Adam White. All right, think about that one. Uh, it's Scientific name is, and I'm going to butcher this because I didn't take any Latin formally in school, Lycorma delicatula. Is that close enough in the ballpark? It's hardly a clue when you mispronounce it. See, Erin's rested back. She's leaning back. She's having a piece of candy because she's like, I nailed this. All right. Uh, this has a wide host range. It feeds on at least 70 species of plants, mostly trees. If it's given a choice, it prefers to feed on the plant referred, known as the tree of heaven. This is due in part to concentrations of toxic alkaloids that the insect uses to repel natural enemies, specifically predators. All right, Aaron, I'm going to add an extra bonus question. See if you can uh, tell us. This was my clue, but see if you can answer in the form of a uh, in the form of the question I'm going to give you. Where was this insect first found in the United States? Pennsylvania. Yep, yep, she's good. Okay, if you still don't know, final two clues. It's called a fly, but it's not a member of the dipteran order. It's not a true fly. It is a member of the hemipteran order, true bugs. Aaron's nodding approval. And finally, the colorful appearance of the adult leads to its common name, which Aaron got early on. It's the spotted lantern fly. They're beautiful. They are really beautiful, like shockingly beautiful. The kind of beauty that you see only in like uh, photographs of insects out of um, tropical areas. Really stunning colors and patterns. Yeah, it's very, very pretty insect. But, Too bad it's invasive and probably really terrible. Apparently it's really destructive feeding on a lot of different pl uh, woody plants. I don't know if you remember Eric Clifton student with uh, Aaron, Gasson, Aaron Gassman and myself. Yeah, your PhD uh, student? Yeah, he's doing some research on spotted lanternfly What's as a the... postdoc. Oh, very good. At Cornell. Yeah. Oh. And That's the Asian good. longhorn beetle. 
that one's even more destructive, right? I mean, that kills within a year or two. Big old, like, dime-sized holes coming out. So, anyway, that was our fit. I think you're getting better at this. I got fit. Yeah, you did. Okay, should we wrap up for this week? Yeah. Thanks for the recap on the Durancho report. Yeah. Are they going to yeah. do, like, a special issue of the ICM newsletter or something on this topic? Um, well, there, there will be a disaster recovery page that includes all, aspe all aspects, including crop production, grain storage, and the okay. economy, like a, a disaster uh, insurance and even mental health. So uh, we're going to aggregate all those resources there. And it's just starting to get populated now, but it will definitely include a lot of production aspects to it. When do you think that'll be out? I hope this week. Oh, really? That soon? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, is it worth holding on to this one or should we just go ahead and... Yeah, I think we should. Yeah. I could give All you right. the link. All right. I might wait and we'll um, release this with that link to the article. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks, Aaron. Honest.
call it yeah. a day. Yeah, thanks. Um,